The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 322. Got a first-time guest joining us on the show to talk some uh, best ball strategy for fantasy baseball. It's been big in football, big in baseball now. Uh, you can find his work on Twitter at Brian J. Seymour and the host of the Fantasy Best Ball Exclusive. Brian, how are we doing, man? I am very good. It's always good to talk to a fellow Brian, uh, you know, one of those classic, classic yet modern names. You know, yes, and you spell it the right way, which is good. No, I'm kidding. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, um, and means to be high or noble. So yeah. oh, take note of that, everybody. Yeah, well, people, yeah. Take notes. People might might disagree with it when they know me, but uh, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, it's been fun getting to know you uh, a little bit recently. Listening to your show and following you on Twitter. Why don't you let everybody know kind of what about your show, about yourself, like your fantasy background. Yeah, so um, like a lot of guys, I started playing fantasy at a very young age, probably like 15, um, and I started with football, which I think we all kind of do, and then after doing that for a little while, you realize that baseball is the superior game, unquestionably, 
Um, I went kind of down that path for years, um, experimented with different kinds of leagues, you know, made a lot of mistakes, lost a lot of money here and there at first um, as you're kind of a young kid. And then, man, I don't know, probably stumbled across the NFBC in my older years once I started to maybe have a little bit of a bankroll and was able to really get into things. Um, did that, actually went to an auction championship in New York City with the NFBC. And man, I think it was 2016. Finished fourth in that league. Um, I'm kind of a disciple of the Larry Schechter way of doing things. So I've, I've, I, I pump up his book, Winning Fantasy Baseball, all the time. Uh, so I went there, drafted a team in which I thought I had like $340 worth of value. Um, you know, finished fourth, which you end up not placing in any money at all, which is kind of frustrating. And that kind of. I think that experience got me a little bit a way of doing things the traditional way. You know, a lot of guys in the fantasy baseball industry are, are wanting to do like the main event and things like that. And kind of that lottery ticket approach, which I've talked about on my show. And um, it kind of got me thinking about like a, a different way of going about this and more of an investment style, which too. But um, then uh, I, I kind of made another um weird route and i i quit fantasy and actually got into the betting world for a few years um i don't know if you have a lot of experience with that but it uh it it took me on more whirlwinds than i could ever imagine it's a a roller coaster (laughs) like any other (laughs) yeah um so learned a lot of lessons which frankly i think served me really really well in what we're doing now um so did that for a few years primarily betting believe it or not on soccer international soccer but uh Made my way back around. I realized that, like, I really had a true edge in my glory days, if you will, in uh, playing fantasy sports and mainly baseball. So I, I gave up betting, forgot about that bankroll, and uh, put it all, all back into fantasy. So that's kind of where we are again now here today and for the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of – we have a, a similar path, not the same, but I played fantasy for a while, started playing in the betting world while I played little fantasy. And I just kind of – I'll bet once in a while when I'm with buddies and whatnot, but – I have much more fun putting it into the fantasy world, doing that work, all that kind of uh, good stuff. Uh, why don't you let everybody know about your podcast? It's it's pretty awesome, especially for those that are, um, like I said, we'll kind of do best ball 101 here, but you get a great guest and go on a deeper dive there too. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, first off, follow the podcast. It, well, it's called Fantasy Best Ball Exclusive. Um, it's kind of shrouded in mystery what the show is about i wanted to make it uh pretty obvious um in terms of the title but yeah we just we really just talk about best ball formats of course we go down a lot of different avenues but it is to help you succeed in best ball which is a growing industry especially in baseball um it's been around in football now for a few years but baseball is really starting to make it in the market and get a lot better um but yeah, that's the name of the show. We're on all platforms. You can follow the show on Twitter, which is really just me at fantasy best B A L the number one. And yeah, I've been privileged to have some awesome guests so far. And one thing that I really want to do now, I had, you know, we've had some names on like Todd Zola and uh, John L MLB movie averages. Who's a freaking great guest. I think he's been on your podcast, right? Yeah. He's a firework is what he is. <laughs> I, I love John. I love yeah. John, but uh, you know, but I also am trying to highlight some smaller time follows on Twitter as well. I'll, I'll be honest with you. The, the catalyst for me getting into this podcast was Derek Rhodes, who I'm sure you've probably seen like his injury boards and stuff. Um, give him a shout out at D R H O A on Twitter. Um, 
but yeah, he he was really a catalyst. I saw him in all my best ball leagues last year, and I'm like, I got to get this this guy on. He seems like a shark. He has all this great info, you know. So yeah, some smaller followers with great things to say is part of my goal on the podcast as well. So no, that's a great thing. I've I've had a lot of first timers on my show. I have a lot of the same ideas that you have in that regard. That there's so many great content producers or great knowledgeable people out there that just because they don't have a following doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. to me and people should hear them. So I think that's a great way to go about it. That's a, there's, there's a lot of people that need to have their voice heard is the way I mm-hmm. look at it. So that's great. And uh, Derek, actually I was in talks with him the other day. He'll be on the show here in the next couple of weeks. So. All right. That'll be, awesome. Yeah. That'll cool. be a lot of fun as well, yeah. but uh, let's get into some of this best ball uh, discussion. So you mentioned the NFBC and uh, that's like a, a popular thing. It's definitely for the higher bankroll folk compared to, you know, everyone else playing, you know, hundred dollar or less leagues can't really go do that at FPC unless you're playing the fifties. But um, what made you go from kind of that season long approach where there's fab involved and everything to a best ball? What, what makes you like potentially best ball? I'm not saying you do, what makes you prefer best ball over the season long? Well, you know, just what you said. So you mentioned fab. Um, I suck at fab. Uh, that's, it's that's tough. one reason. <laughs> yeah. It's very tough. Um, you know, one thing that, we mentioned MLB moving averages. Don, we talked about this on my, my very first podcast where I had an interview, and that's knowing your skill set. Um, I do not adjust well to player adjustments in season. I draft really well. I, like I said, I, I've done many auctions over the years where, um, you know, I'm projected to win the league and oftentimes do well, you know, finish in the top third or so. Um, but I, I've never been skillful at that in those in season adjustments. So I'll give you an example. So I mentioned that auction championship league in 2016, my roster was loaded. Now you got to put yourself back four years. I had Andrew McCutcheon, Justin Upton in the outfield. Um, my outfield, I remember was really stacked. Um, I got Buster Posey super cheap for the top catcher in the league. And I think Justin Upton was hitting 190 through May or something. Now, in that format, he was like a $20, $20 $25 player at that time. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to bench a $25 player in a 15-team Roto League, you know? Um, so I can't figure that stuff out. I don't know when to say, like, this guy who's been a career bench player. I remember, like, I'm a Cardinal fan. So I remember, I don't know, Hazel Baker a few years ago, but he came up in April and hit, like, I don't know, eight home runs or something like that. And he's an, it was a nobody and never really did anything again. But I always had trouble determining, like, where do I start making adjustments here? Is this guy somebody who should be drafted in this league now? So, um, yeah, it's not a strength for me. And the draft is, is the moral of the story. Um, and I'm a big time investor. I'm somebody who I, I know a lot of people with fantasy baseball are uh, you know, it's a hobby and that's good. And it is for me too. I really enjoy it. I, I like doing this, but I, I'm, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was really in this to make money, you know, um, and I'm a pretty heavy investor in the stock market and things like that as well. So baseball gives me that opportunity. I can draft literally hundreds of teams if I want, uh, do nothing in, in the regular season. Yeah. And again, I think the draft is my strength. And, um, you know, last year, and this isn't any kind of I'm, – I'm certainly not trying to to tout anything, and it could all be terrible this year. Who knows? But last year I was able to attain a 75% ROI. And 
Yeah, it, it is, but I actually was disappointed. I, well, I should say, by the time we knew that we were only getting a 60-game season, I was like, oh, my gosh, I just want all these leagues to be refunded. I don't even know what I'm going to get here. I did these drafts four months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, I, I still actually had even higher expectations when I thought we were getting a full six-month season. And as you know, you're not going to get a 75% ROI from anywhere. And that's really what I'm going after. I, I really, I love the NFBC and I'm playing a lot of stuff on their site, obviously. But as far as things like the main event, I just don't really have as much interest in getting into something that is more of that lottery ticket vibe. And you having some betting background as well, you know that you're trying to bet into good lines, you know, minus 110. Um, you want to stick to right around there. You want to have good values. And if I feel that the rake, is very high for the site that is hosting the competition. I don't want to play into that. It's the same as not wanting to bet into a minus 120 market versus a minus 110, for example. So um, I know I kind of threw a lot of stuff there, but uh, for me, it's really an investment vehicle. And I also do love baseball and football. And um, I think it's for anybody wanting to get into it for those purposes, I think you'd be really served to do so. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense because it's the whole plus EV minus EV situation. How do you go about it? And um, I, I love, you know, it's always nice to have that lottery ticket thinking you could do it. But man, it's like when you realize that X amount are the ones doing it, it's tricky. I'm not saying don't do it. I think it's a lot of fun. And we know a lot of people that do very well in it. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's 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 tough, and when when you have a bad year, you have a bad year. It's like mm-hmm. where best balls when you spread out your your uh, your risk, you could say you can kind of you know win some here, lose some here, and in the end, you might not be crushed type situation. So there's, there's ways to spread your your risk, your your money to make it work. Um, you mentioned the the lottery ticket. I'm gonna like I said before, I'm gonna bounce around a lot of subjects here with best sure. ball, but. Um, there's different types of best ball. There's like the 50, 50 version of best ball. There's, I hear you guys talk about the 10 X where like, you know, one guy wins and there's like two or three guys win leagues, all these different formats. Now for a guy like yourself that's trying to spread out his money and, and win the most he can, are you focused on the 50 fifties? I know you're not a big lottery ticket guy, but do you like to play maybe the top three win situation? How do you go about it? If you're going to try to play, say someone wants to you know, have a hundred bucks and they have $10 leagues, they want to play 10 leagues. How would you say going about, putting your money out there? So it's a really interesting question and one that has come up, um, you know, on my podcast, even just in the last few weeks with one very credible person giving one concrete answer Mm -hmm. and one very credible person giving the other concrete answer. Um, I personally really like to side with what the data says. And uh, Derek Rhodes, I'll mention him again. And I had a uh, Twitter conversation a couple of weeks ago where he had some pretty good analysis where if you can assume, and this is a big assumption, so don't get me wrong, but if you can assume that you can win, say, okay, so you got that $100 and you're spreading it over uh, 100 or yeah, uh, 10, $10 leagues or what have you, you will be best served if you think that you can win 20% win outright and finish first place in the 10x version of the prize pools. Uh, I have pretty much decided that for 2021, that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm only going 10 X's actually exclusively with my entire bankroll because you just mentioned it. You are mitigating risk just by the fact that you're in this many leagues. So it's not a solo shot. It's not an overall prize pool or anything. If I'm in 200 leagues or some psycho number like that, 
I, you know, it's very reasonable. I feel with my skill level and kind of uh, the way that I create values and stuff like that, that I could win 20% of those. Um, now, John, uh, MLB moving averages, on the other hand, he exclusively plays in 50 50s and he does great. I mean, he has, he, he said he cashes in like 85% of those, which is phenomenal. And you're going to get a really good ROI. But I think that the, Earning potential really lies in the TED axes. And I, it, although it is an aggressive format to play, again, like you mentioned, you're in so many leagues, I think it really mitigates that risk. So it, there are some shaky moments, um, especially in the 60 game season this year, where, man, I mean, I remember in August, which was early in the season for this year, uh, I, I saw how many leagues I was winning. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster, dude. Like, what is going on right now? <laughs> And then I ended up just fine. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where that's another thing. Baseball is such a sport. It's a game of sample sizes. So the longer the season, the, the better chance that that value that you drafted way back in March is going to, you know, really pour out and show you where you are. So, yeah, to answer your question, long answer, um, I think the TEDx is the best way to go. Yeah, um, it, you could certainly you don't have to do that. I mean, if you want to do kind of like a stock bond type thing and do maybe 70 percent TEDx, you know, like <laughs> 401k. We're going to go aggressive yeah. here and put a little bit back here to kind of save us type situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to go. I guess I'm going 100 zero is my stock allocation, I guess, for this, <laughs> <laughs> this season. Well, so. and, and it's kind of there's two ways to also approach that. It's OK. So if I'm going to go all 10x. Well, like, and you were saying it is now you don't have to win that many of them to still get a return. Where if you're doing the 50 50s, well, obviously you got to win at least half of them, if not more, mm-hmm. or at least place in at least half of them, if not more, to get your money. Where if, like, you know, you hit the nuts on like three or four of your 10Xs, if you're playing like, you know, 50 of them, or even maybe not that many, but you know what I'm saying, you mm-hmm. could have like a big return and start. Yeah. So say, say you hit like 25% of your 10Xs, all of a sudden life is great. Yeah. And that's phenomenal. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. That's and, and, and that's why I was happy winning 20, but like, I really was thinking like a great season is 40. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty lofty, but if I was able to win 40% of those, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, you're looking like a 400% ROI at that point or something. So it'd be pretty crazy. And you're usually going to avoid ruin. I mean, you know, you, yeah. if you can't win 10%, maybe you just shouldn't even be doing this at all. You know what yeah. I mean? I just probably hang it up at that point. So. Yeah, I'm with you there. Maybe it's time to step back and get your approach, figure out what what went wrong, and let's kind of figure it out before we go big again. Exactly. Um, So best ball, obviously, well, not obviously, that's why people might be listening or listening to you, is you draft X amount of players. We'll talk about different sites and how many players here in a minute. You draft X amount of players. You don't make any moves all season. They pick your best lineup every week or whatever. Go from there. Then there's Mm -hmm. draft and holds, which you still draft. There's no roster moves. But you still set a lineup every week, so why do you you play more best ball? But why do you prefer one over the other, or do you dabble a little in both? At this point, I'm exclusively best ball, um, and really, I'll be honest. The, the main reason for me of not doing any of the draft and hold or draft champions is just. It, it logistically won't work for what I'm trying to accomplish. Gotcha. It's a similar similar idea. And actually, in some ways, it, it's slightly better because it's even deeper. I mean, if you do the NFBC draft champions, you're talking 50 rounds and 15 yeah. teams. As of now, there is not a best ball product that goes quite that deep. Um, the NFBC did just create one that gets close. But uh, 
Yeah, that, I mean, I would have to, you know, if I calculated what my bankroll for the season is going to be and then divide that by, well, I mean, you can get into cheaper draft and holds via fan tracks and stuff like that too, but the management would just be way, way too much for me to do. Uh, and again, I'm not good at it. I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to know when this guy or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like when this fourth outfielder, I always do this and I apologize, but because I'm a Cardinal fan, I, I just use these examples. Um, like if Tyler O'Neill got out of the gate hot. Okay. Um, when do I know that I should be starting him over, say, a struggling early season? I'll, I'll use this example, Randy or Rosarina. You know oh, what I mean? How, how do heart. I? <laughs> <laughs> let's say, let's just say, Randy Arena, it's May and he's hitting above, barely above the Mendoza line. Um, when do I start my Tyler O'Neill with 15 home runs? I mean, I don't, for me, I, I almost never will because I'm just like, well, I had a Rosarina penciled in as like a $20 player or whatever. I, I can't pull the trigger on this. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a drafter only, and I just want to let the the software do do that work for me and uh, go from there. Basically, yeah. Well, and that that's one of the beauties of best ball is you can, you know, if you're confident you're drafting, which I feel I draft better than in season. Also, like I'm getting better at in season, but it's a it's a grind. Like you have to be dedicated yeah. to the craft to make it work. And I'm like, and I feel confidence in my knowledge of the player pool. So it's nice that when you draft somebody. And then you're in the middle of the week going, gosh, he's had three home runs this week. He's on my bench. Well, in best ball, you might actually get that stuff. So that's always nice to get the best of what your at least intentions were going into the season, which yeah. is nice. Um, where I put the poll out there on Twitter and Fantrax ran away with it. So there's the main sites for best ball and add any more if I missed it. You have Fantrax, you have RT Sports, NFBC now has one. And you have uh, like the best ball tens, which is a kind of conglomerate of the NFBC as well, or BB tens, uh, stuff mm. like that. So quickly, if you can, how do you differentiate those, and why do we pretty much always go to fan tracks? <laughs> well, uh, I think. Well, first off, I think it's that fan tracks has been doing it before anybody else. Uh, fan tracks was around with uh, baseball for best ball before the BB tens were even created. Um, and you know, and I know you didn't even mention, I'm not going to mention cut line for this purpose because that's yeah. totally different. Yeah. That, that were that were overall product pool and stuff, but fan tracks, I think is because they were the first dog in the fight basically. And they do it really, really well. And shout out to them. I, I kind of felt bad because I released a pod on Monday this where I had already recorded and mentioned that I really wanted them to get their product out for the year. And then they did that very morning, actually <laughs> see yeah. how it goes. But, um, their product is great. Uh, it's a 12 teamer, 40 man rosters, and it just about mirrors the NFBC lineup. It's only one catcher, which I'm sure a lot of people will love. Uh, so that's great. Really deep bench. Um, and, and, uh, I mentioned the rake earlier. So back to the whole betting thing, you want to be in markets where you are not giving a lot up to in the betting world to this, to the sports book, because they're already making money hand over fist to begin with. Why give them any other advantage other than that? So I'm a huge proponent. I'm really, really stingy about that. If I'm going to play a game like this and I want to make money from it, I'm not going to give you money, you know, right off the, yeah. the get go when I'm already at a disadvantage. So fan tracks, um, they just launched their product, but yes, th their rake is only 9% actually at the moment for, for best ball. So that's what I love about them. 
Yeah. Well, not only that, but the product just looks really good. The draft room is pretty nice. They, they probably, I, I kind of wish they'd get a better app for it, but yeah. um, I'll be honest with you though. My, my preference for fan tracks really isn't that high over the BB 10 anymore. Um, you know, the NFPC draft room, it's really nice. That app is That's fantastic. That's why I like the BB 10s gets my attention. That, dra- that draft room is so nice. <laughs> it is. It, it's wonderful. Yeah, I really think they did a great job with it. Certainly way better than back when we played, you know, five years ago or whatever. It's so much better now. But people, I think, are turned off by the BB 10s because it's very confusing at first. You're only starting 12 spots, which is really weird. I mean, admittedly, for what you typically see, it's catch your first, second, third, short, two outfielders, one utility, and four pitchers. And then it's a 32-man total roster other than that. Well, total. And um, I think people don't really know how to figure that, but that's what we talked about Todd Zola on my podcast. Uh, he He was instrumental in kind of creating the cut line scoring. And then with KJ Duke of NFBC lore created the scoring for the BB tens and the roster construction and the scoring is pretty much in an 80 to 95 percentile of what the NFBC Roto traditional scoring and lineups try to accomplish. So it looks weird, but if you can kind of get your mind around that it is mirroring the NFBC, I think it, people will understand it a little bit better. So that's why my guess is that Fantrax is is winning in such a landslide. Um, I also like the BB10s because the rake is not really high there either. It's about 13% for them. Uh, now, you mentioned RT Sports has had a, they call it draft. I forget what they call it. Whatever. It's, 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 it's draft masters. Um, and I actually think that it's been around a very long time as well. Um uh, you know, you can kind of go around and do the calculations on your own for anybody who wants to, but you're going to see a very high rate there. Um, even in the lowest price points, I think it's about 20 to 25%, which is pretty high. I think as you get up the stakes, though, if you if you do more of the like $50 entry and stuff, it does get more generous, though. So I don't want to poo-poo them like too much. Um, but it, it's just, it, it's much smaller rosters as well which for a guy like me who's trying to draft as much uh, perceived value as humanly possible, that that doesn't really get it done for me. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty much with where your poll results were. Um, slight preference to fan tracks, but also like the BB10s. You, you asked if there was any other sites. Um, there is a they're, – they're kind of small time right now, and I've frankly hardly done anything with them, but drafters.com. I'll give them a shout out. I, I don't know exactly what the setup even is, and I don't think they have any product out just yet. But that's another one you could uh, check out as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I missed the draft app. The draft app was always fun. Yeah. That was a good one to do. And I'm hoping because, uh, well, FanDuel brought the, bought them and they've screwed all that up. But DraftKings mm-hmm. this past year started doing football best balls. And I'm wondering if they'll come out with baseball because that could Man, be interesting I, as well. I really hope so. I actually wasn't even back in it yet whenever the draft app was around. Um, I was still kind of doing betting and things like that. But from what what do you remember from that? Was it they were pretty small rosters? There was really like very really small rosters, draft. very small rosters, weird um starting road starting lineups basically is the best way I'll say it. So kind mm-hmm. of an RT sports vibe more than a fan tracks vibe, but it was quick, it was family like friendly. The app was amazing, like it was super easy to use. Like there's a lot of those kind of factors that made it really uh, worth playing. 
Yeah. 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 I remember I heard, uh, I'm sure, you know, Mike Alexander, uh, yeah. fantasy alarm and stuff. Um, I remember hearing him talk a lot about it as well, that he used to do those, but, uh, yeah, I like those deep rosters and that that's another point for these new ones that the NFBC who's always setting the trend released this year. Um, I mean, I should pull it up here. Um, yeah, they just, so they already had a hundred dollar best ball strictly double up that started, I think just last year. Yeah. On the short and season. again, this, yeah yes yeah and this is separate from any kind of overall prize pool these are just um you know individual leagues then just a couple of weeks ago they released a 150 dollar and a 400 dollar price point of 12 team leagues where the 150 pays out a grand to first place and the 400 pays out 2700 to the first place um yeah those are really nice 46 man rosters uh, and it's the exact starting lineup that you do for the NFBC main event. So I'm I'm really happy with those. Um, the the rake is a little wee bit higher than I would like to do, although I'll probably still hop in a couple. Um, I'm sure though, as as years go on, I mean, best ball in baseball is just blowing up so much yeah. right now. So I think over the next couple of years, we'll be fortunate to get some great other offerings from the NFBC and probably everybody. So we'll see. Yeah, the NFBC, the one thing I like to give them a lot of credit for is they they listen to their audience and they try to work with their audience. I guess the biggest, if I had to give any complaint to it, is they need to realize their audience also doesn't have as much money as their contests are, not all, not their whole audience. So if they made more attempts to maybe the lower price range, they'd have an even like humongous audience, I think, because their, their, their product's amazing. Like mm-hmm. It's a really good product. I think they kind of... And then they're fine with it, obviously, because they haven't changed it. But I think if they wanted to just be massive and probably put some people out of business, they'd just, you know, get that lower price pool and it make a big difference. So that'd be I my think so, too. Thing. I think so, too. And and frankly, that's what I said to a couple of people when I saw these new offerings. Um, now, 150 is still for maybe a small time player. I mean, that's still kind of steep, probably yeah. for somebody not wanting to do that. And, and honestly, even for me, I mean, like. It, because I want to differentiate and be in so many leagues, 150 is actually, yeah, exactly. Cause you want to be in tons and tons of leagues. So, you know, as the bankroll gets bigger, it, it will be a welcome um, exactly. endeavor, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I think I'm sure we'll see some fifties and even probably even lower from that as the years go on here. Cause it's just progressing so much right now. So. Yeah. And that's the thing is people, a lot of times when I talk about it, people think I'm trying to like poo poo on the NFBC and I have nothing but great things to say about them. I just look at it from I know who listens to my show and who listens to a lot of shows. Majority of the audience isn't spending a lot of money to play fantasy sports. Like that's just mm-hmm. not the, the grand scheme of things. That's you're you know, it's probably like, you know, twenty five percent or so. I'm just guessing playing the main event in those big contests. Like it's it's a small for, a small fraction. So that's my mm-hmm. only thing. There's nothing negative about them at all. So I yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um like for instance, I I want to keep getting my feet more wet, I should say, or wetter in um <laughs> in best ball. So like this year, I might just do like ten, ten dollars to try to keep getting my feet wet to get a feeling, and then eventually, you know, you figure out how what you need to do and how you do well and so on and so forth, and then you can up your bankroll and go from there. But mm-hmm. I, I still focus on season long. But I like the idea of best ball, and one reason I like the idea of best ball is the deep rosters. You mentioned fan tracks, I believe you said forty players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, NFBC uh, is forty six. If you do their NFBC fifty, it's fifty players, which is awesome. And you made a comment, and I. I'm pretty sure I know where you're at, and I'm 100 percent with you. Why do you prefer the deeper pool? Because so okay, let me let me just start back here. So we talked about auctions earlier. The way that I prep for any kind of draft, including a snake draft, is 
number one projections. So we have some kind of loose projection there that I'm not going to follow totally to a T, but I have projections. And then you assign auction dollars to um, all of the players based on the player pool and those projections. Um, so you've got your 260 imaginary dollars there. And I want as deep rosters as humanly possible so I can draft as much value and gain a bigger edge as the draft goes on. Because you're not winning your league because you took, you know, Trey Turner in the first round or something like that. You're winning your league because you got, you know, Brad Keller, you know, late in some of these or Marco Gonzalez last year or somebody like that. You know, you're winning your league and your edge is getting bigger and bigger and bigger like a snowball effect as the draft goes on. So that doesn't when there when I have a 20 player roster, um, which is common in like football circles and stuff, it doesn't really do me as much good as a very deep roster. So yeah, that that's part of it for me because you want to develop that as the draft goes on. I, I want my edge gets bigger the the larger the player pool for sure. And I feel like I'm in a similar boat there. I hope that like listeners of this show, because I I pound on uh you know know the the, the roster pool. Uh, there's a reason mm-hmm. I do rankings to at least 30 because are you going to roster that many guys? No, but you need to know who that 30th guy is or the 35th guy is in the best ball league because you never know. They might have a, you know, Colin Moran, for instance, last year. No one wanted to draft him, but in the best yeah. ball league, you probably took him and he had some big weeks for you, some monster weeks for you. So yeah. Yeah. it's li- little things like that. Like you said, we all know who Mookie Betts is. Could he win mm-hmm. a year league? Probably not. Could he lose your league? Maybe if he gets hurt, like that stinks, but that's mm-hmm. out of your control. But getting those guys, you know, round 30 and later, those last 20 rounds of a draft, 15 rounds, that could be make or break stuff. So I, I, I've heard you say that, and I'm sure they're going, yep, that's, I'm 100% with you there. Yeah. I completely yeah. Because you'll, you'll be in certain leagues, and you, you know you're playing with – you know who you're playing with when you get later in the draft, when you see who's getting drafted. Because yes. there's people yeah. that it's only like the names they've heard or it's actually mm-hmm. this certain type of player. And it starts mm-hmm. to kind of fluctuate, which is fun. So Yeah, you're right. When you're using the depth of these leagues, first off, when do you start your research for this? Because I know you're doing the football best balls, the baseball season's going on, but you're going to jump in best balls right now. So your window's like yay big. Um, yeah. How do you to, to, to know the depth of that pool, to know the upcoming players that might be entering that pool, all that stuff? When do you start researching? Well, um, specifically for baseball this offseason, it was as the playoffs were going on, really. Um, so probably early October is when I started to get like a really good feel of like where drafts were going to be, what what we were looking at in the first couple rounds. And, and you know, kudos to everybody who was actually getting into drafts, even at that point, you know, that they maybe just kind of created themselves or whatever. But um, yeah, so at that point, I'm really getting like familiar with the player pool and stuff. And also the letting the market kind of develop because you want to know where people are looking at like a you Darvish or something like that. Like somebody who had a crazy career year that in my opinion, he's probably never going to do again, but you know, you want to know where that market is being set. So yeah, throughout the playoffs in terms of baseball. And the thing is like you mentioned football, I'm pretty much just not even, I mean, all I'm doing is checking like the results of the teams that I already have drafted. There's no work for me whatsoever on football right now. And that's kind of the beautiful thing. And what I'm trying to create with the podcast is during one sports um, season, I'll be talking about the other sports. So as long as, you know, football, yeah, we'll be talking baseball through March, basically on my podcast. And then we'll probably get into football in April of next year. But yeah, um, during the playoffs, 
it seems like it, it gets earlier every single year, though. You know, I mean, I remember back just a few years ago, it would be like early January. And I'm like, all right, man, it's, it's time to start thinking about baseball, which, I mean, if you do that now, you're way, way behind. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then it was yeah. Christmas, I remember. And and then, like, you know what, man, it's November. And I'm like jonesing to, like, read about baseball. Well, now it's literally, you know, before the playoffs are even over or anything for the prior year. So that's pretty much it. Um. And then specifically, as far as research this year, something I ask guests on my podcast a lot is if they're born out of a more Larry Schechter or Ron Chandler kind of mindset. And what I I mean by that is, if you're familiar with both those guys, is that Larry Schechter was a very, is a very um, precise, create auction values. And those are my concrete values for these players. Uh, Ron Chandler and Baseball HQ, of course, over the years come at it from way more of a broad brush skill based perspective. And I've I was born more of the Schechter mindset, but now I've kind of drifted it to incorporate more of the the broad stuff in it because I think it's awesome as well. Um, So, yeah, specifically with that this year, I started to make some risk and injury profiles for players took note of what their base skills are and stuff. So now, like anything it's a good combination of both of those strategies. So um, that was one of the first things that I did in preparation this year was really kind of creating those risk profiles and seeing the skill profiles of players and then seeing what the market looked like they were doing as well. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm probably more the HQ style of it as well. Like I'll make my rankings and then I look at the the feel and the overall approach to a guy and kind of make my final decisions there. Um, you mentioned your, you look at, kind of where the market's going and everything. One way to, to look at that is ADP, of course. And mm-hmm. early early on, ADPs are really, really loose. But mm-hmm. um, when do you, for a best ball, when do you start really looking at ADP? Like You should never look at it, obviously, as you know, as your end-all, be-all. But it's a good way to kind of get an idea of where things go. Um, where do you use ADP in best ball? Does it vary from best ball to season long? Um. No, I would say I used it pretty much the same way. And I'm I'm definitely using it. Uh, this is a, another, you're basically hitting on every pertinent conversation around <laughs> best ball. So that's awesome. But uh, we were just talking about this on Twitter the other day. And um, it's, it's obviously valuable. And I used to hate when people would go on these like, ADP doesn't mean anything. Ignore ADP. Oh, I hate that like, conversation. It's dude, very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> get, well, it, not only that, but like, please stop talking in absolutes. Like, what? Why? Yeah. Why? You know. Um, so it's certainly valuable if used in the correct hands, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the way that I essentially use it is early on. I'm I'm practically not even using it at all. I mean, those first couple rounds, I have what my rankings are, and that's what I'll do. Plus, everybody's taking the same players practically anyway. True. But um, here, here's where it really, here's when it starts to come into play. As you probably know, when you create a uh, value formula and auction dollars, especially in a setup like the NFBC, which drafts two catchers, or if you're in a more shallow league that only has one, basically any setting where a catcher becomes really, really valuable, when you get those dollars spit out, JT Realmuto is a second round player. So. ADP becomes relevant big time at that very moment because most people are not going to be drafting JT Real Muto in the second round. And I, I think probably rightly so. I mean, there is a lot of risk carried with catchers. 
Um, but I want to know the market for catchers because if I have JT Real Muto ranked 18th overall and he's going 46th overall, I don't want to be the schmuck taking him in the second round like an idiot, you know, and wasting. I, oh my God, I could have got Rafael Devers, I could have got Luis Castillo, you know, whatever. So that's where it becomes relevant right away. You want to know the catcher market. I think that's huge. And then obviously later in drafts as well. Um, you know, I want to know some of these guys. I'll just I'll just I'll just use an example of one of the BB tens I'm in right now. Um, since this will be coming out later and nobody in the league will know uh what I'm saying anyway. Um so I'm I'm looking at a couple of pitchers right now, and I have I think it's like Nate Avaldi. Um, who I'm not even a huge fan of, but Nady Avalti and a couple different guys this is like around 15 or something, 16. I have a couple guys that are like up there in my queue, but I'm noticing that uh, just a cut below a couple of these guys, like the Chris Bassett's and Marco Gonzalez are going uh, much higher in drafts. And I understand why it was like a breakout year. So everybody's all over that. Um so I'm likely to probably go with like one of those guys. They're also a little bit less risky, I think, than like an AT of Valdi based on his kind of hit injury history and stuff. So, you know, just little pockets like that where it's like, I'm going to just jump down here, take a guy that's really just marginally less valuable for making up hopefully some equity in that ADP. Not only that, but I think those two other guys are pretty safe injury-wise too. So um, I think it is a useful tool, but... If you're like, if there's a player you really, really want and you're hinging everything on ADP, it's just not the right way to use it, obviously. So it is definitely a worthwhile tool, but it must be used. I guess I'll say this. Of the two extremes of saying ADP is invaluable and followed to a T and not using it at all, I would probably pick not using it at all, but I would never actually do that. I mean, it, you have to incorporate it some, yeah. You know, that's that's fair. That's why I always specify it's not the end all be all. I think it's mm-hmm. a great tool, like you said, um, especially like that E of all the comparisons perfect of why I like ADP. It's okay, I got these guys coming up, I'm looking at, but in reality, like a round or two later, there's this group of guys. Mm-hmm. So now can I pivot to this other position or player and still try to land one of these guys in the next round or two and still feel good about my roster construction? That's right. where I like ADP because it doesn't affect my rankings where I'm already kind of seeing things, but it points out where I can build potentially a better roster in that kind mm-hmm. of situation. You mentioned the catcher situation. I like to use it for relief pitchers as well because that's another position. You don't want to be the shot yeah. going and taking this guy so early when you really <laughs> point, don't need yeah. to because everyone makes fun of relief pitchers to begin with. I get mm-hmm. that. But it's the similar kind of strategy there where it it changes. And then you mentioned um, – you know, guys like Marco Gonzalez and stuff coming up, big years, career years. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see that early, these early drafts, these guys go higher. As we hit towards February and March, they'll probably go lower. How does your draft philosophy change early drafts to later drafts? Really interesting question and one that I've started to ask the guests on my show too because it's, um, you know, if you're going to get into best ball to this kind of level, you are you're going to be doing that. I mean, you're going to be drafting from November through March. And – um, I don't know that there's, I, I don't know that there's like a much bigger edge on either. Um, there certainly is one right now that I can see. I mean, there's people that are just like, like you just said, and this could happen through the rest of the off season, but are really overreacting to those big years. Um, there's also the fact that free agents haven't signed True. and mentioning a guy like Rail Muto, because there's so much 
um, volatility to taking him, I think, right now. Number one, that he is a catcher. Number two, that he hasn't signed. Uh, let's say, you know, he was just hitting at a great hitter's park. What if he would sign with, um, I don't know, a, reali- a realistic hit? It's not going to be the A's, okay. Put him in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Just some, te- uh, the Cardinals even, or something like, go. yeah, the terrible hitter's park. Um, that's a pretty big change. So, you know, right now for me, even though like Rail Muto is, uh, will be a, a wonderful round pick, I think, um, and there's a lot of research on taking mid-tier catchers too, and that's that's also good. But um, I'm not going to be on in on Rail Muto really a lot until he signs, and I also know that I'll probably be on him a lot later in the off season. So why would I get any Rail Muto shares right now if I'm really going to pump that later on? Which leads me to my other point. I think the edges that will be there in March are more. I should say less experienced players right now. People drafting are pretty insane, obviously about fantasy baseball. You can assume the guys drafting in March. Maybe it's like, well, you know, Hey, I'll just get in a few of these as like duration for my home league or for a bigger stakes league or something like that. And they're not, just all kinds of basic follies that you see in draft rooms, you know, that maybe they're not pushing pitching up as much or they don't value catchers at all or something like that. So I'll be able to get him even later. So I, there, I think there are edges the whole way through or I wouldn't be doing it obviously, but I think what they are evolves as the off season goes. Um, so yeah, I think right now you probably got some overreactions to some big years, and later on you're gonna have people that are just kind of based players to begin with that don't even really understand. I'm not trying to be condescending, but like don't even no, really. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, like don't understand like the draft mechanic as much, and 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 aren't really in it for. I mean, I remember last year. I mean, there were people saying that they were in some of the BB10s or even the fan tracks leagues or even the higher stakes ones as like oh, practiced. Friend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, hey, let's put the money in. on it, though, so it might count. That's their theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I welcome you in, please. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I love that. That's where I was going to go with it next. I saw so many people, and I get it. I get what they're saying. It's like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to mock draft, why not do a best ball and try to win some money? I get that. At the yeah. same time, there's guys like yourself and many others that have been doing this for three months or whatever, and like, oh, yes, okay, please, please come my way. Yeah, like, yeah. I already know where the, the loopholes are here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it's funny yeah. like that. But, um, you mentioned Nady Evaldi also, and he's a guy that I get sucked into him a lot. Probably not this year because he's going a little higher than he has in recent years, but like the strikeout stuff's great. We know the velocity is there since he had his you know injury a few years ago, but he also has those blow-up days where you just want to like bang your head against the wall. But in mm-hmm. best ball, that becomes not an issue as much anymore. So that right. becomes interesting. And like I use the term in football a lot, uh, you know, the old Deshaun Jackson. Great best ball yes. guy because he can bust out for huge games, but he has so many games where he has like two catches for 20 yards and you're just, you're burned. Now, do you have like a group of guys for baseball? And you don't have to name them, obviously, but do you have a specific group that you probably would never draft in a season-long league that you go, yep, I circle them in best ball? Yeah, so the, the I guess one funny thing is I, I, I just haven't really had a propensity to even play in any regularly managed years, so I, I don't even know what my – differences would be i guess just because i'm not even playing those too much but i know exactly what you mean yeah so a guy like Ivaldi, but even more specifically like rockies pitchers yeah um, big time yeah give me marquez on the road don't care about his oh home. yeah yes exactly and i i do love marquez as a pitcher but last year this is pretty embarrassing but my results ended up being okay so i guess i'll admit it but I, john gray was my number one owned pitcher 
of all of my teams last year. Now that wasn't because I just really liked John Gray or anything like that. I, I assume it was just because my value formula spit him out pitching a lot of innings and uh, he did get hurt and it was a bad injury and I'm definitely not going to have him this year, shoulder stuff. But, um, I think it was just that my value formula spit him out as an innings eater, you know, and pitching a lot. And that regardless of home or on the road, this is what the results are going to be. And I don't think other people had that adjustment, I guess. that That's all I can say. Now, it didn't really work out in my favor. I'm not trying to say that it did. But that is what usually – I had a lot of Marquez, too. I actually think I had Marquez on, like, almost 50% of my rosters. Um, so – I'm all I can assume by saying that is that a lot of people do not make that adjustment um, for just what you're saying. Those inconsistent starters or the guys that pitch in pours or, you know, whatever other big time hitters park. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's innings eating pitchers is what you really see. Because if I reflect back on what my ownership last year, I had like a lot of Jake Junis, another one that didn't really pan out very well. I, ha- I had a lot of Brad Keller, a lot of guys that are in the back of rotations that uh, ratios may not be great and you wouldn't really think about in five by five, but are pitching. Okay, so it's a volume game. Get, get exactly. The, uh, the counting stats for you. Yeah, b- bingo. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that's well, what that I go- noticed. Well, also for hitters, I think like platoon hitters, like an Eric things or something becomes more valuable potentially mm-hmm. in situations like this. But we, we, I skipped over something because like I told you, I'm going to hop around. I, I knew this would happen. So <laughs> something that comes into play there with your counting stats, you mentioned the Brad Kellers and all these guys that you can take in the later rounds is the format of scoring. Like you mentioned, there's some that do by Roto, but fan tracks is points based. So things like getting your strikeouts and all these types of things become much more important. How would you, um, how would you, I guess, compare the two, or how would you recommend to someone that's going to play a point system to maybe approach things a little differently than Roto? Uh, j- basically, that all you're doing is accumulating. And it, in a way, well, actually not in a way, it's it's much easier, I think. You just need points. You know, I'm not worrying about... One of my biggest pet peeves of Roto is I don't want a bad baseball player who happens to steal bases. That's not appealing to me. I don't value it myself. Um, I never wanted to hear about Billy Hamilton, you know, a few years ago. I was in an auction draft once where he went for like $28 in a league of high stakes NFBC players. I I was Alex Smith love. It's just, oh my gosh. I I just, (laughs) and I understand Roto. I understand it saves and steals and you got to push them up and all that stuff. But another reason I don't play. And again, you know, I'm like trashing season long here, but I just want to take a moment to say like kudos to everybody who is really good at that with fab with the finding the steals and saves and stuff like that they're doing stuff i would never be able to do and they they do an awesome job but yeah the biggest thing is with with best ball you're just looking at accumulating and that's something that um we end up doing a lot you know you get a, a lot of pitchers late um i don't necessarily push pitching down or anything but you can't attack it from a volume perspective, I think, and just get a lot of really healthy arms and um, roster maybe another extra pitcher than most people do. So that that's one thing I would say. Um, just you want bats, you want arms, you want guys that hit at the top of the rotation or, yeah, top of the batting order. Um, that That's a focus. You need guys who are playing a lot, obviously. And that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of brings me to my question on roster construction, because you'll, you know, I, I, I keep using the term season long because that's what I'm used to. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to compare it to best ball for people. 
But like some people will go into an auction and they'll say, I want like 65 hitting, 35 pitching or something along those lines. When you're drafting your best ball league, let's stick with Fantrax, 40-player best ball team. How are you allocating offense and or pitching and, and hitters, basically? So that is uh, – the question is kind of twofold. Um, one, because Fantrax is notorious for pitching being extremely pushed up. Uh, I think it's partially because you're rostering nine – and, or excuse me, well, there's nine starters, and then uh, you have 12 hitters, so or 13, excuse me. So um, I'll just tell you, uh, straight up this year, I'm actually looking at almost like a 58-42, if you want to get really precise with my hitter-pitcher split for fan tracks. Um, it is... It, we have seen over the years, and this is something I'm going to be talking with the guests I'm going to have on my podcast next week about. We've seen over the years that pitching gets pushed up big time. I mean, it, it's everywhere. Every format, I don't think it really discriminates. I mean, pitching gets really pushed up. And yeah, even from a few years ago, and I remember reading Larry Schechter's book where he talked about like a 69-31 split or nothing below like a 67-33 if you're doing anything higher, I think, in favor of hitters than like a 60-40 in fan tracks, you're going to be imbalanced probably. Um, I, I'll i be honest. I probably want to have three of my first six pitch picks be pitchers in fan tracks this year. So um, I'll probably be taking a lot of first-round pitchers, I imagine. I just want, I want to be really, really aggressive with that because that's something last year, early on in the offseason, I was not being aggressive enough, I don't think. So specifically for fan tracks, yeah, I'm looking at if you stick around a 60-40 split, I think it'd be good. Um, differing with BB10s, uh, which is a little bit different of an animal, I think you can probably be safe doing like a 65-35 there. You're, you won't see as aggressive uh, pitching getting pushed up. But yeah, fan tracks, it's, it's definitely going to be aggressive towards pitching. So yeah, for the first time ever for me, I mean, I'm almost going sub-60 for hitters uh, in some of these best balls, so. Well, it makes sense when you look at like you can accumulate pitchers later in your draft, sure. But those elite pitchers early on, if you're talking about points league, the stuff they can contribute with with wins, let alone wins, but strikeouts and all the other goodies that come with the point system. Yeah, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And, yeah. you know, the, the the drafts I've looked at and participated in already, pitching's flying off the board. I was tweeting about the other day just in a mock draft. I think I had four starting pitchers in my first eight rounds, which I never do. And looking at the mm-hmm. pitchers after round eight are disgusting. Like yeah, the best ball maybe sure, but it's like disgusting. So I I said it on my podcast. I heard you say it. I think Smata said it with me this week. I've heard it on other podcasts. It's you. It's I mean you're correct. You get to that point, it is so bad. I was in one of the BB tens I'm doing right now, and I'm like, I don't know what to do here, dude. Like I'm just gonna. I guess I'm just gonna be like too high on hitters right now, and then make it up on the back end. The other day, I was rounding out my roster on a BB ten, and I'm looking at like okay. Jose Quintana, Danny Duffy, um, you know, there was one or two other names in there. And I'm like, which guy who either has a terrible injury history that is projected pitch a lot this year or a guy who had an injury pop up last year am I going to take? You know what I mean? It's just like not a lot to to play with at that point. So it, it's bad for sure. Yeah, and, and the hitting on the flip side, it's, it's still loaded. So it's one of those where you mm-hmm. can get much more aggressive, like you're saying. It is a definite philosophy to go with. Because if yeah. you try to, to zig when they zag, you might be zagging all the way to the bank account. So exactly. that's going to be yeah. a, a fun one there. Now, do you do different types of strategies with your rosters? Like 
Um, if like I know I heard John talk about it with the pitching form, you can do it with hitting also. Do you try to like stack certain teams? Do you go anything like that, or do you just go? I'm building based on my rankings and the best thing I can build. Uh, the latter. I, I'm basically just going off of my rankings with keeping the pitching balance in perspective. Um, what John brought up with the stacking stuff, I think is definitely a good strategy and probably optimal for when he does all of his 50-50s. Makes more sense for double ups. I agree with you there. Yeah, exactly. So if you think of DFS, like cash games and stuff yeah. like that, yeah, doing stacks makes sense. And, um, you know, John, uh, John's better at this than I am. So, I mean, I would not argue with him saying that. I think that it's a really good idea for 50-50s. With the 10Xs, with it being a little bit more volatile, um, it probably doesn't make sense, actually, to do yeah. that. You want as many opportunities as possible. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, I personally probably won't be doing any stacks unless they just happen to you know, be on my roster or whatever. But, um, yeah, I just, I'm looking at my values. I'm going down the sheet, keeping ADP in mind as well. And uh, just kind of going down the value sheet. Yeah, I just want to watch. Whoa. Sorry. Sorry, the dog got excited over something. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, so when you're talking about ceiling players, that brings a question to mind, like younger players. And you'll see some people are infatuated with young players. Like they want to go grab them. They're going to be this big lottery ticket that wins it for you. And I right. think they have the most volatility of ceiling and floor type situation. Do you go into these best balls like looking to get some uh, younger players later in your drafts, or are you just like, you know what, I'll let someone else deal with that? I I never have targeted young players. No, there's no – well, number one, they always go too high. I mean, I don't know a format where young guys are not pushed up to a point where all of us who are more advantaged players are kind of just saying, no, that's way out of my wheelhouse, but – there's some weird circumstances where I will end up getting some here or there, but I'm, I'm never really targeting any. I, I'll say this. I, I've never, I never do a draft purposefully taking a maximum risky, uh, you know, proposition in hopes that it makes me win the league. I just want to hear my projections, hear the values. I'm just going to go down that sheet essentially, because it's going to give me more points. It's going to give me more accumulation of stats and stuff like that. If a young guy who is real hot on the market happens to fall to me here and there, then I'll take him. But I'm trying to think who it was last year. There was a guy who was who was like that last season who I had one share out of 84 teams. I can't remember who it was. but Lou Bob, Probably Lou, Lou Bob, maybe? I don't know. Everyone uh, was all over him. It wasn't him. I, I, I forget. But somebody in that realm for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's that's – it's going to happen again this year. I mean, it already is. I, yeah. I can't even actually think of the guys it's happening with right now because they're they're never on my rosters, really. Um, gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, no, not really anything I ever target now. Yeah, the shiny new toy syndrome is always fun to watch in a draft. Where do they go? Because they always do go too high, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. makes it's, it's those guys and career year guys seem to go way too high, and you just have to sit back and be uh, diligent in that. Uh, and there are, in that situation. you know, they're. There are exceptions, and I heard you mention this, and I think it's probably the best call I've heard on this this offseason is young guy Dalton Varsho. Yes, um, that's, yeah, difference. Man, the but like you said, the equity that you can probably have by the time the season starts, if you're drafting him where he's going right now, if assuming you're in a league where he's eligible a catcher, which all NFBC yeah. platforms he is. Fan tracks, he's only an outfielder, so unfortunately kind of worthless in that format. But yeah, um, that's a guy that the FOMO – is legit on um 
but for different reasons, basically, <laughs> because he's catcher eligible. Yeah, once he becomes the announced as the everyday whatever, that mm-hmm. you're going to see him drafted as a top five catcher, and that's just going to go just end everything real quick. So yeah, yeah, will be interesting. But but before we wrap all this up, uh, any final thoughts, any words of wisdom for people trying to get into the best ball world? Yeah, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I do. I approach this from kind of a different angle. I approach it from kind of investing minds. Think about ROI and stuff. And I, I know it's not what you hear yeah. on a lot of fantasy podcasts necessarily, and maybe not everybody's prime reason for playing. But I would say that if you are looking to, I, I think that best ball is hands down the best way to actually make money from this endeavor. And and that stands for baseball and football. I far prefer baseball because, um, I mean, it's just better. I mean, it, it's way easier in my mind, and there's the injuries are nowhere near as rampant. I mean, you look at football, and the top two consensus picks that anybody would have given you for football this year are yeah. both what they've played, like two and a half games between them, Barkley yeah, and rough. McCaffrey. Yep. So um, I, I, if you want to actually make money from this endeavor, I think it's the best way to do it. Um, I've said this a million times, play into leagues where the rake is low for the site and um, be a volume player to mitigate risk. I think it's really important to get in lots of different leagues like that. So, you know, you're the ones that you don't do well on don't really impact you that much. So, yeah, it's it's definitely it's growing as well. So you're going to have more and more opportunities as years go on. And that that's why I'd say, yeah, if you really look to make money from this sport and this activity, I think that basketball is the absolute prime way to do it. And actually, the last question I have for you, as a guy that plays as much best ball as you do, what is one thing you'd like to see changed or added to the format? Man, that's a good one. Um, The funny thing is, the NFBC started to do kind of what I had been asking already. Um, When they created those two uh, $150 and $400 price points with the 12-team, 46-man rosters, that, that was starting to get more into the realm that I wanted. Basically, all of the factors that I enjoy about best ball to enhance them even further. So larger rosters. Um, but the biggest thing I think I want right now is 15 teamers. Um, we don't have That'd that cool. anywhere. Yeah, we don't have that anywhere. I mean, you got to think NFBC is going to be the ones to do that. They're the inventor of the 15 teamer. So um, I would love 15 teamer with something like hell, just match the draft champions, just do 15 teams, 50 rounds. Yeah. I think that would be phenomenal. Um with a uh, with varying prize points because I really like those 10 X's. Uh, I think that would be the coolest thing right now. And then hopefully even more platforms hopping on board. Like you mentioned, I mean, it'd be cool if uh draft came back, something similar to that. Um, these are all things I'm pretty sure we're probably going to see over the next couple of years because of the growth. But that's what I would say. I, I'd love to see um, more teams uh, available to draft with do 15 teamers. No doubt about it. That'd be pretty darn awesome. But Brian, it was a pleasure having you on Bench with Bubba for the first time. It was a pleasure uh, yes, chatting it up with you on Best Ball. Um, last, lastly, plug away your Twitter, your podcast, anything you want anybody to check out of yours. Yeah, podcast is Fantasy Best Ball Exclusive, Spotify, Apple, you know, all the platforms we are on. Follow the show on Twitter at Fantasy Best, B-A-L, the number one. And then you can follow me as well, Brian J. Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Um is that it? Yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, that, that's where the show is. And uh, yeah, get us all there. I thought maybe you would want to talk a little bit of student loan debt forgiveness or something like that today, <laughs> but we didn't get into yeah. that. 
No, that's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun out there. But uh, yeah, oh man, I, I, I always tell myself, just keep your mouth shut on Twitter because it never comes off the way you want it to. So just stop. <laughs> but um, you, you can't win in the Twitter streets. You just can't. So. Hey, man, I hey, back in the early days of the lockdown and COVID, I, I made a couple mistakes and I'm like, yeah, this is not good for my mental health. I need to get out of here right now. But nah, I hear you. It's, it's an interesting topic, though. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with all that. We'll definitely see what happens. The biggest thing is just change the whole system. They they should not cost that much to go to school. That's the biggest thing. Figure yes. that out. Really like cost. figure that out, and then a lot of the other things will start to hopefully fall with it. So yeah, yeah, go from there, yeah. and that's that's where I'll leave it on the show. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> see too. what happens there. But Brian, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. I look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks, Brian. A lot of fun. Appreciate. All it. All right, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode three twenty two. Catch you guys later.